The sound system was newly put in this week, as you can see, but we'll... we'll Wow, that was great timing. <laughs> but the, the speakers and the speakers in the back and the cry room and all that, we will still try to work through some of the details. But I think a lot of the work has been done. We need to figure out how some of that will come together. But it will. It will, we trust. But that's all right. Well, let's look in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Take your Bible and turn there. And we come to one of the most profound theological topics that we could ever think about. And maybe to be more specific, in the book of Hebrews, what I hope to convey to you this afternoon in our time together is that we are at the turning point in the book of Hebrews. This is like the main turning point in the book of Hebrews. So I hope that it will be helpful Hope that it will be clear, and I hope that, as you see there in your bulletin, you will behold Jesus, your great high priest. Follow with me as I read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold Fast our confession. If there is a doctrine in the Bible that God has given for your soul to be comforted, it is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. I am a great sinner. I am. And I need a great Savior. I have a load of sin. And I need a strong Savior. I have an unpayable debt. I need one who can pay it for me in the presence of God. I have doubts in my life. I have temptations in my life. I have sin that plagues me in my life, just like you. I need a mighty Savior to deal with my great burden once and for all. And church family, here's what God has given. You go to Jesus, your great high priest. You have to go to Jesus, your great high priest. There's a Puritan who wrote a book on this. His name is William Bridge. And he wrote a book entitled, The Comfort That We Have from the Priestly Office of Christ. And here's what William Bridge wrote, quote, the great support And the comfort that we have in all temptation is the priesthood of Christ. He continued, the priestly office of Christ, it is the great storehouse of all the grace and comfort that we have this side of heaven. Did you hear that? It's like the storehouse of comfort that you have this side of heaven. I mean, imagine how big Amazon's storehouses are if you put them all together. There's a lot in there. But God's storehouse of comfort is way bigger. God's storehouse of comfort is way mightier and way stronger on this side of heaven. What is it that is the greatest comfort in your life as a Christian? It is that you have Jesus as your priest. 
Another Puritan, David Dixon, said, All of our encouragement is from the help that we have in Jesus Christ, our priest, and that is sufficient. Remember, John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, referring to the priesthood of Christ. Remember 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, and he is the man, Christ Jesus. According to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. I mean, church family, this is the comfort that you and I need. This is what will guard you from discouragement. This is what will guard you from despair. This is what will guard you from hopelessness. It's remembering and continuing to remember that Jesus is your great high priest. We come in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, to the theme that Hebrews is going to develop, that Jesus is the high priest. One theologian was writing a book on New Testament theology, and he said this is the central theme to all the theology of Hebrews. It is the most distinctive theme of the book of Hebrews, namely that Jesus is your high priest. Now, in your Bible, you have it open. I read from verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14, is the transition marker to the next main section of the sermon of the book of Hebrews. It would almost be like chapters 1 to 4, verse 13, is the preacher saying, well, that was my long introduction. Now in verse 14 is when he begins the main body of the sermon, the main theme of the sermon. And I want to show you this. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Do you see it again? Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Okay, remember that and just go quickly to chapter 10 with me. Hebrews 10 and look at verse 21. Hebrews 10, 21, the author says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, then skip down to verse 23, let us hold fast the confession. It's the exact same language. Chapter 4 and chapter 10 are like brackets. Everything in the middle is going to flesh out. What does it mean that we have Jesus as our high priest? So we're going to look at that in chapters 5 and 6. We have a perfect priest. We're going to see that in chapters 7, 8, and 9. Jesus is a better priest. We're going to see that in chapter 10, that Jesus is the final priest. And on all the arguments that come with it to show and to encourage and to bless you, child of God, that you have a great high priest. 
Because chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, is so central to this turning point in the book, I'm going to preach on verse 14 today, verse 15 next week, and then verse 16 the week after that. And then we'll come back to sort of preaching paragraph by paragraph through the rest of the book. It's almost like, it's almost like when a soldier goes into new territory, it's almost like he, he's got to pause ahead of time. He's got to get the lay of the land. And then after he understands what's going on, then he goes and he jumps in. But, but you've got to slow down. You got to see what's ahead. You got to understand all the issues that lie ahead of you, and then you can take action. We're going to slow down, and we're going to get the lay of the land in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll study chapters 5 to 10 in detail on the priesthood of Christ. So today in chapter 4, verse 14, we're going to look at the heart and the theme of Hebrews that Jesus is your great high priest. And if you're taking notes, I have two simple headings that I want to give you today. One of them will take most of the time, and then really the second point will be almost by way of conclusion. But I want you to see, as we look at your great high priest, number one, you got to see your hope, your hope, what is your hope? And then second, your hold, that you need to hold onto Jesus. We will see that he is your hope, and then he is the one that you must hold onto. Let's begin with verse 14 with number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus is your great high priest, so you need to understand the, t- the theme of your hope. What is your hope? We have a hymn that our family loves to sing in family worship. It's titled, My Hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me, and he paid the price of all my sins at Calvary. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely gives. But, but I love the opening words of that hymn. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me, and he paid the price of all of my sin at Calvary. When verse 14 begins by saying, therefore, Since we have a great high priest, we are learning about our hope. The word therefore in verse 14 actually goes all the way back to chapter 1. It's like the author would say, now everything I've said so far is by way of introduction. I've talked about how Jesus is better because he's God, chapter 1. He's better because he's a man and he can relate to you, chapter 2. He's better because he made a full atonement for your sin at the end of chapter 2. And because of all of that, you need to take action today. Don't harden your heart. Believe. Don't be disobedient. That's chapters 3 and 4. But therefore, after all of that has been said, now the author says in verse 14, therefore, summing all of that up, because we have a great high priest. Remember, before we looked at the book of Hebrews, we went through the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus 8 to 10, I talked about the priesthood of old. When you think of a priest, there's one word that should sort of flash into your brain immediately, 
It's the word mediator. A priest is a mediator. That's what a priest is. That's God's design. 1 Samuel 2.25, if a man sins against the Lord, who will mediate for him? I mean, if I sin against God, that's what Job struggled with. Who is going to be my umpire, my mediator? Who's going to advocate for me and God? Well, that's what a priest does. A priest is a mediator who would bring God to the people by the teaching of the word. But there's a flip side to that. A priest also brings the people to God in intercession and prayer for them. So it goes both ways. He brings God to the people in the teaching. And then he brings the people to God in the praying and the intercession. That's what a mediator does. Church family, if I could pause real quick. That's why this is so needed for us today. Because we, we, we are living in a, in, in a time, we're living in a culture, we're living in a generation, and even our own hearts are so tempted to this. We all fall into the, the sin of independence. We fall into the sin of self-reliance. It's almost like the, the do-it-yourself mentality. Can I serve you? Nah, I got it. Do you need any help? Nah, I'm good. Can I help you? Can I, can I serve you? Nope, I'm good. I'm fine. It's that kind of mentality. I got this. I'm good. I don't need your help. Uh, I, I, I have this on my own. But that thinking can creep into religion very easily. I got this. I, I, I can handle this. I, I, I don't need that. I, I don't need that help. I got it. And yet we desperately need to remember week after week after week. You know what? No, I don't have it all together. I need a mediator. I need one mediator to bring me to God, and I have him in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament talks a lot about priests. A lot about priests. There's a lot about the high priest that the Old Testament talks about. So we might ask the question, if the Bible says here in verse 14, we have a great high priest, what does a priest do? Well, he mediates, but according to the Bible, what else does he do? Let's give a little bit more detail. That'll help us understand what Jesus does. Well, first of all, a priest would be the one designated by God to make atonement on that day of atonement, Leviticus 16. He also was given by God to teach the law of God to the people of God, according to Ezra 7 verse 10. He also intercedes and prays for the people, according to Exodus 28. Remember the priest who had that breastplate and all the names of the tribes of the people of Israel on the breastplate, and he would bring them before God as a picture of the priests bringing the people and interceding for them. A priest was also called in Leviticus 8 to live a blameless and a pure life. A priest was called in Numbers 35 to live among the people of God. They they weren't in an ivory tower. They were to be among the people of God and the tribes of Israel. The priests, also according to Deuteronomy 21, were to make judgment. They were to give leadership. They were to give guidance. They were to take care of some legal matters. And the priests... We're also to study and obey God carefully, according to Malachi chapter 
too. That's what a priest did. I mean, the Old Testament is full of teaching about the priesthood. And yet right here in verse 14, we have a great high priest. Christian, you don't just have a priest. You don't just have a high priest. You have a great high priest. And our text says that he passed through the heavens. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7 that your high priest, according to verse 26, is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and he is exalted above the heavens. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 8 verse 1 that we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, look in your Bible at Hebrews 4, verse 14 again. Therefore, after all that has been said, introduction, right? Jesus is better. We have a great high priest. We have such a high priest. Look at the next phrase. Who has passed through the heavens. If you have your NASB Bible, you have passed through the heavens. If you have the NIV translation, I think it's even closer. He has ascended into the heavens. Another translation has he has entered into heaven itself. The King James has he has passed into the heavens. There's a lot going on here in this phrase. Now, When your Bible says he passed through or into the heavens, it might, it might allude to the role of the priest in the Old Testament tabernacle temple. When, when, when he would pass from the outer court through to the inner court, the holy place, and then he would pass through that into the holy of holies. It might be an allusion To that. But I think more probably, the language is a reference to the superior nature of the work of Christ. Not talking about going from one location to the next. You know, I I passed through, I went through the drive through today, I went through the checkpoint from like one location to the next. I don't think the point is that from like one part of the temple to the next. I think the idea is that Jesus has passed into the heavens in such a superior way that you could never do it. You could never do it. It's the language of superiority. Verse 14, we have such a great high priest who has passed all the way through into the heavens and you and I could never do that on our own. That's the idea. The work that Jesus did is better, superior. It transcended all other work. This work of Jesus guarantees his uniqueness and his greatness and his praiseworthiness. Let me show you why I think that, by the way. Just turn a few pages to the right. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 11. Why, why is it a picture of Jesus superior, passing all the way into heaven, doing something you and I could never do. Hebrews 9, 11. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, verse 12, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Do you see that there? The focus is not, wow, he went from one location to the next. No, no, no. The point is, he went to a place you and I could never dream of. He went to such a superior place that you and I could never get to in our own effort. Look down to Hebrews 9, verse 24. It's even clearer here. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the point is that Jesus traveled to places that you and I could never go because he is our great high priest. He traveled into heaven itself. He did what is absolutely impossible for me and you to do on our own. Maybe think of it like this. What you need to be reconciled to God and what you are entirely unable to do on your own, he did it completely. What you could never do to bring yourself to God, Jesus did it by passing all the way through, as it were, into heaven itself. And he did the great work. That's what a priest does. That's what our great high priest does. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's a fitting illustration. When our family goes on our Florida trips in the fall each year, we... We, we go down to the Destin area, and on our drive to the Destin, Florida area, we always have to pass this three-mile-long bridge that takes us over a bay. It's a huge bay. It's a beautiful bay, but there's a bridge that goes over that bay. It's a long bridge. It takes us all the way across. It's a high bridge that keeps us out of danger below. It's a secure bridge. It's a strong bridge. It doesn't fail. It connects us from one side all the way to the other side because without the bridge, we could not cross. That's what Jesus does. Without him, I can't get there. Without this Jesus as my bridge, I can't get to God. But he, as the bridge, as the advocate, as the mediator, as our great high priest, is what connects us all the way to God. He is a strong and a perfect and a complete great high priest. Well, if you look back at your verse, Hebrews 4, verse 14, notice back here what the author says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, you can almost hear the expectancy. Well, who, who is it? I mean, who is the great high priest? Who has passed through the heavens? Now he finally tells us who he is. Do you see it there in verse 14? He is Jesus, the son of God. He is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, marking his humanity, 
Son of God, marking his deity. The two titles are put side by side in order to prove the two natures of the Lord in this one person. Jesus is fully human and fully divine, and this gives us assurance of the power of God and the sympathy of a friend. He's our great high priest. He is Jesus the man, and he is Son of God, divine. Do you hear what the author is saying? Therefore, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has done what you and I could never do, he has gone all the way to heaven for this great work. Who is he? Jesus, the man, son of God, fully divine. Ponder this for a minute. Much more on this actually next week from verse 15. He never sinned. But ponder this with me, that Jesus is the same one. This Jesus was born in Bethlehem, born of a human mother. Joseph had brothers, had sisters, according to Mark chapter 6. He lived a life in the household of a carpenter, had to learn the trade of his dad, working with his hands, working with wood, Went to Jewish school in the synagogue, had to learn to read and write and memorize, and he did. He is the same one who was rejected by men, was, die, was killed, and died at Calvary in Jerusalem. He walked in Israel, he taught multitudes. This Jesus is the same one who is our transcendent Lord. He is the creator of all things. He's the upholder of all things. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is right now, because of his resurrection, exalted in heaven at the ultimate place of preeminence and power at the right hand of God. Jesus the man, the son of God who is divine. Fully man, fully God. Do you see it here in the text? What you need to get to God, what you need to be reconciled to God, and what you need every day of your life to keep yourself reconciled to God is fully found in your great high priest, Jesus Christ. Everything. He is Jesus, the Son of God. Ponder that. That's amazing. All the priests of old, all through the Old Testament, were men. They were humans, but they were not the Son of God. They could relate to men. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves and for the people of God. Leviticus makes that clear. Hebrews will make that clear. But yet Jesus, as the Lamb of God, as God himself, did not make a sacrifice for himself. He became the sacrifice for others. We see here, our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in him, Jesus, the Son of God. I have a lot of application here in a moment on this, but before I get to that, 
I skipped a phrase deliberately at the beginning of verse 14. Therefore, since we have. You need to know something, that there is an eternity of difference between saying, you know, there is a great high priest out there. There's an eternity of difference in saying that and saying we we have. I have a great high priest. Look, the devil can say there's a great high priest out there. The devil knows what Jesus did. The devil knows the work of Christ. The devil knows the theology. The devil knows that. The devil can say there's a great high priest. He can say that, but he can't say we have a high priest. Unbelievers can say, yeah, there's a great high priest out there. It's Pastor Jeff's high priest, it's my mom and dad's high priest, it's the elder's high priest, it's the church's high priest. But that's different than saying, we, we have, I have a great high priest. Can you say that today? Can you say that with the church congregation? We have a great high priest. Can you say that, that I know this high priest? Can you say that I possess him by faith? Can, can you say that I believe in this high priest? Can, can, can you say I love him because of what he did for me? Can you say I know that he's my representative before God in heaven? Can, can you say that, that he has taken all of my sin and paid for it and bridged the gap between me and God? Can you say that he mediates for me and he brings me to the Father doing something that I could never do on my own? Can you put yourself in these words and say, we have a high priest? Because if you can't, you're lost. If, if you can't, if he's not your high priest, then you're left on your own before the eyes of an all-searching, all-seeing God who sees your sin, and you have no bridge to bring you to God. But if you come to the high priest, if you believe in the high priest, if you cling to this high priest, if you receive him, if you hold fast to him, what hope there is what hope there is. What is this great high priest to you unless he is yours individually? It does you no good to say, yeah, Pastor Jeff, he's his high priest, or the elders, he's their high priest, or he's my mom and dad's high priest. That does you no good before God. You need to say, he is my, we have a great high priest. But I, I mentioned at the beginning in my introduction that God has given one of the most comforting doctrines in all of the Bible to you and to me, and that is the priesthood of Christ. And you might scratch your head and you think, okay, I, I get the theology of it. I understand what you've been saying so far from verse 14, but, but how does the priesthood of Jesus affect me Day by day, like when you wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to work, how does this affect your life? I want to give you five words for you to write down 
that I promise you, if you get it, if you remember it, and you cling to God's word on these truths, it will radically change your heart, your thinking, and your life. Number one, how does the priesthood of Christ affect you? Number one, it assures you. It assures you. It gives you assurance. I was sitting this week with a Catholic man over lunch. We were talking about the gospel that I believe and the gospel that he doesn't adhold to, the biblical gospel. And then we were talking about his Catholic teaching and what he believes. And the best he could say is, I hope I've done enough. And I said probably five times to him, yeah, but how do you know what you're doing is enough? How do you know it's enough? If you don't have this high priest, you have no assurance. But if you're holding on to this high priest who has gone all the way through the heavens into a place that you could never go and he's done a work that you could never achieve on your own, it takes away all doubts. Why? Because your hope is settled with Jesus. And proof for that is found in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says in verse 5 that we have been made alive together with Christ, that we have been raised up with Christ, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ. So right now in my Christian life, I'm not sure if I understand all this, but I'm here physically, but I'm also in heaven seated in Christ. There's assurance there. There's confidence there. And it will radically change your life, and it'll take away doubt. It'll take away the thoughts where you lack assurance when you're not looking at yourself for assurance, but you're looking at your great high priest and his work for assurance. Number two, how does the priesthood of Christ affect you? Number two. It preserves you. Because because if you did not have this high priest interceding for you, pleading for you, presenting himself for you in heaven before the Father, if you didn't have that, guess what? You'd lose your salvation. And I, I would as well. How could we keep ourselves saved? We can't. We're weak. But yet we have a high priest who right now, according to Hebrews 9.24, right now he appears in the presence of God for me. That preserves me from following, following away because I have a priest in heaven who is preserving me. He is praying for me. He is pleading his merit in my stead. How does the priesthood of Christ affect you day by day? It assures you. It preserves you. Let me give you a third. A third word that you could jot down. And this is so key to the gospel. Get this. Number three, it saves you. You're not saved because you did something. 
We're not saved because I've been baptized, because I go to a good church, because I take communion, because I know the theology. I'm not even saved because I believe. We are saved because of what Jesus did for us. Now, the way that that becomes personal is by means of faith. That's the channel, the instrument by which we receive the work of Christ. But I'm not saved because of what I do. We are saved because of what he did. He died. He made atonement. He dealt with your sin. It was yesterday morning. I opened my Bible to Isaiah 53, and we looked at that quite a number of months ago, going through the book of Isaiah, but reminded again that I'm saved, hear this, because of what God the Father did to God the Son on the cross for me. I'm saved because of what God did to the Son. He took my sin and he credited that. He put all of that on the Son and he punished the Son in my place. That's the work whereby all of my sin has been paid for. How does the priesthood of Christ practically affect you? It assures you. Number two, it preserves you. Number three, it saves you. Let me give you number four. Maybe this will be helpful for us in the dark days that we live in. It emboldens you. It emboldens you. Why? Because I can have stability and strength and joy and hope in a world where there is no hope around me. I can have stability in a world that has no stability. I can have confidence in a God while I'm living in a world that has no confidence in anything stable. But I have this emboldened courage. Why? Because God gives that to us because we have a priest who has done the work. He has paid the price. He has opened up heaven and he brought us in. He holds us fast. He knows our names and he says, live for me because I'm praying for you. It emboldens you. It emboldens you in your life to speak to that person when you're fearful to speak up. It emboldens you to take a stand for what is right when the workplace or the circle of friends or your university or the professor is saying things that are blasphemous and you open your mouth with courage because you have a priest who's bringing you before the Father. So you can bring him before men. Number five, how does the priesthood of Christ affect you? Number five, the priesthood of Christ. Number five, it seizes you. I mean, it's like it grabs hold of your heart. I mean, I have nothing to boast in but Christ. The Catholic man across the table from me on lunch on Friday, he, he told me about how he goes to Mass every day. Told me about how he prays the rosary every day. He told me about all the theology books and church history things that he's reading all the time. But you know what was missing? Christ. What, what the man testified was himself. 
At the end of our time, I opened to Matthew 11. I said, Jesus said, come to me and you'll have rest for your soul. How how do you have this heart that is completely gripped by Christ? Well, it's by recognizing that I have a great high priest. I have nothing to boast in. I have nothing to glory in. I have nothing, like Paul said, that I would boast in except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. May those five encouragements keep you going. Priesthood of Christ assures you, it preserves you, it saves you, it emboldens you, and it seizes you. Now, back to verse 14. Look at your Bible again. What is that first main heading that we're seeing here in verse 14? We have hope. Hope. Christian, your hope is in your great high priest. Your hope is that you have a great high priest who has passed all the way through the heavens. I mean, he has gone to heaven and he has done what you could never do. He has done a superior work. Who is he? Jesus, the Son of God. That's your hope. But, like the author of Hebrews, he doesn't merely want you to know doctrine and leave it there. Your doctrine leads to duty. Your theology must lead to practical Christian living. Here's the second point if you're taking notes tonight. Not only your hope, but now your hold. Your hold. The end of verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. Fast roller coasters are the best. The faster, the better. The higher, the better. The steeper, the drop, the better. The more twists and turns and loops, the better. The more sudden, steep drops, the better. I mean, the the faster, the better. But inevitably, on a coaster like that, you'll hold on. You'll hold on tightly. You'll hold on tightly. You'll seize that bar in front of you and not let it go. That's the point of the verb here. Let us hold. Hold fast. Our doctrine of the priesthood of Christ should lead us to duty. Now, in the NASB, I have, in my translation, let us hold fast. If you have the NIV, you have let us hold firmly. The legacy has let us take hold of. Another English translation has let us cling tenaciously. I like that. Cling tenaciously. William Googe was a Puritan who was writing on this, and he said, the idea of holding fast is persevering. You got to keep clinging. You got to keep holding. You got to keep persevering. Boys and girls, you all have a stuffed animal perhaps, that you have and love and enjoy. You probably have a lot of stuffed animals, but you probably have one that's your favorite. What if Pastor Jeff came into your home and I was going to steal? I won't, but what if I was going to steal that stuffed animal? You would run to your room, you would grab hold of that stuffed animal, and you would hold that thing tightly. You would hold on to that tightly and you would not let me take that out of your 
hands. That's the idea of holding firmly and holding fast to Jesus. You need to hold on to him with perseverance. You got to keep clinging to Jesus. So mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, when a kid comes to you and they say, I think I'm a Christian, guess what you do? Encourage them. But you don't immediately affirm them. Why? Because that isn't our role. That's the Holy Spirit's role. But you know what we do? We can say, mommy and daddy is here with you. We are here with you every step of the way. Keep holding fast to Jesus. Because as you do that, you will be proving that a work of grace has happened in your heart. But it's not for dad and mom to give you a moment affirmation and say, ah, mom and dad said I'm a Christian. I must now be a Christian. That's not my role. But my role is I'm here with you and I'm excited to see God at work in your life. But keep holding on to Jesus every day of your life. And I want to see God at work in you. Why? Because if you're really born again, there's going to be fruit in your life. Hold fast. Now, the end of verse 14 says our confession. Hold fast to the confession. And you and I think, what do you mean confession? What what kind of confession is that? The NIV has, we ought to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. That's good. But I think there's a clearer answer actually in the text. So what do we hold on to? I mean, what is it that I'm supposed to hold tightly onto in order to keep growing and and to keep walking with Jesus every day? What do I hold fast to? Our text says, verse 14, hold fast our confession. If you go back or go actually ahead to chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. Okay, so we need to hold fast our confession of our hope because God is faithful. But if you go back to chapter three, here's where the real clue comes in. What is the confession? Chapter three, verse one. Hebrews 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. You need to fix and plant your eyes upon Jesus and keep them there. Why? Because he's the apostle. What does that mean? The sent one from God. And he's the high priest of our confession. What's that? Well, verse 1, if you see in chapter 3 there, it begins with the word, therefore. Look at the end of chapter 2. What's the confession? Chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why? So that he might make propitiation for the sins of the people. What's the point? What's the confession? We need to hold fast to Jesus. Why? He's our merciful, our faithful high priest who made a full propitiation. He appeased the anger of God. He placated the anger of God. He satisfied the anger of God. He took it. 
That's the confession you need to hold on to. That's the confession that you need to cling to. We have a great high priest who, when he died, he absorbed the full wrath of God. And therefore, God's wrath is averted from us because he took it. That's our confession. Hold fast to that. Hold fast to what Jesus has done for you. He dealt with your sin problem. He's a man. He died. He's God. He's infinite. He's a man. He shed his blood. He's God. He took the sins of the world. He dealt with our sin problem. So back to our verse in chapter 414, we must hold fast our confession. What's the confession? According to the context in chapters 2 and 3, it's that Christ was made a propitiation for us. So we cling to the suffering of Christ. We cling to the death of Christ. We cling to the resurrection of Christ. We cling to the ascension of Christ. We cling to the exaltation of Christ. We cling to the exclusivity of Christ. We cling to the full atonement of Christ. We cling to the perfect pardon that is found in Christ. Remember that hymn? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Hold firmly to Christ and to his work. Before I close, let me give a quick word to those who are in this room where you could hear all that the preacher is saying. And you could say, I hear it, I get it, I understand it, and I'm glad that there's a high priest. But you're not saying we have a high priest. And if you're here today and Jesus is not your high priest, where else would you go? Who else is going to pass through into the heavens and bring you to God? I mean, who who else can do the impossible and bridge that chasm between you and your sin and God and all of his perfect holiness? I mean, who's going to bring you to God? Cling. To him, trust in him, repent of your self-confidence, forsake it, and come to the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, you're believing on Christ, but yet you are here today. And if you're honest, if you're really honest, you might say, you know what, times have gotten tougher because I've believed in Jesus. Like things haven't gotten better. They've not gotten easier. I've not been more liked by people. But there's actually more difficulty. Right now, at this moment, if that's you, Jesus, your Savior, is pleading for you in heaven.
meaning praying. He's praying for you in heaven. He's representing you in heaven. Don't run away from him on earth. Hold fast to him. I mean, we we remember who else, who else could ever deal with all of our sins but Jesus, him alone. For someone who's here today, again, I go back to you. If you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus, if he's not your only advocate, I mean, where else could you go and find one who is not only willing, but able to appear before God as your representative? Where could you go? So come to Christ and hold fast to him. Christian, whatever happens in your life, whatever difficulty or danger you face in your life, it is our duty to be steadfast. It is our duty to be immovable. It is our duty to be strong in the Lord because he is in heaven. We are inscribed on his hands. I want to close by reminding you, if you're here today, Christian, of the great work of your high priest. So that you'll think on this, you'll remember this, you'll reflect on it, you can talk about it as you go from here today. As your great high priest, Jesus right now is presently, at this moment, praying for you in heaven, even when you sin. As your great high priest, Jesus is right now praying for your sanctification. As your great high priest, Jesus right now continually invites you to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you might receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. As your great high priest, Jesus is right now building you and me into a strong spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As your great high priest, Jesus is right now in heaven preparing for us so that we will behold his beautiful, blazing glory one day face to face. Right now, as your great high priest, he never gets weary, he never sleeps, he never takes his eye off of you, ever. As your great high priest, Jesus is both the author of your faith and the finisher of your faith and everything from the author to the finisher. He sustains you. As your great high priest, Jesus holds you with no one who can ever snatch you out of the Father's hand. As your great high priest, Jesus is all of your pure, blameless, unblemished righteousness that you need to be accepted to God to enter heaven. Jesus is all yours in heaven, and he's all that you have and all that you need. As your great high priest, Jesus carries your name specifically, individually on his heart before the Father, and he is praying on your behalf. Ponder that. Think about the, the greatness of the 
comfort of the doctrine that we have a great high priest. So Christian, because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Christian, keep holding fast to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you that when we come before the throne of God above, we have a strong and a perfect plea. We glory in Jesus, our great high priest, who ever lives and he ever pleads for us. May you, O great Savior, our great high priest, so capture our hearts that we, would, that we would go from here this afternoon filled with comfort and joy. That our conversations with one another would reflect the fact that we have a Savior who is unashamed of us. So may we be unashamed of him. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the security. We thank you for the comfort that we have in such a mighty Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.